too. She stood alone beside her suitcase, her coat still hanging over her arm, thoroughly miserable, telling herself helplessly, journey's end in lover's meeting, and wishing she could go home. Behind her lay the dark staircase and the polished hallway, and the great front door, and Mrs. Dudley and Dudley laughing at the gate, and the padlocks in Hillsdale and the cottage of flowers and the family at the inn, and the oleander garden and the house with the stone lions in front, and they had brought her, under Dr. Montague's unerring eye, to the blue room at Hill House. It's awful, she thought, unwilling to move, since motion might imply acceptance, a gesture of moving in. It's awful, and I don't want to stay. But there was nowhere else to go. Dr. Montague's letter had brought her this far, and could take her no farther. And after a minute she sighed and shook her head, and walked across to set her suitcase down on the bed. "'Here I am, in the blue room of Hill House,' she said, half aloud, although it was real enough, and beyond all question, a blue room. There were blue dimity curtains over the two windows which looked out over the roof of the veranda onto the lawn, and a blue-figured rug on the floor, and a blue spread on the bed, and a blue quilt at the foot. The walls, dark woodwork to shoulder height, were blue-figured paper above, with a design of tiny blue flowers, wreathed and gathered and delicate. Perhaps someone had once hoped to lighten the air of the blue room in Hill House with a dainty wallpaper, not seeing how such a hope would evaporate in Hill House, leaving only the faintest hint of its existence, like an almost inaudible echo of sobbing far away. Eleanor shook herself, turning to see the room complete. It had an unbelievably faulty design which left it chillingly wrong in all its dimensions, so that the walls seemed always in one direction a fraction longer than the eye could endure, and in another direction a fraction less than the barest possible tolerable length. This is where they want me to sleep, Eleanor thought incredulously. What nightmares are waiting, shadowed in those high corners? What breath of mindless fear will drift across my mouth? And shook herself again. Really, she told herself, really, Eleanor. She opened her suitcase on the high bed, and slipping off her stiff city shoes with grateful relief, began to unpack, at the back of her mind, the thoroughly female conviction that the best way to soothe the troubled mind is to put on comfortable shoes. Yesterday, packing her suitcase in the city, she had chosen clothes which she assumed would be suitable for wearing in an isolated country house. She had even run out at the last minute and bought, excited at her own daring, two pairs of slacks, something she had not worn in more years than she could remember. Mother would be furious, she had thought, packing the slacks down at the bottom of her suitcase so that she need not take them out, need never let anyone know she had them in case she lost her courage. Now, in Hill House, they no longer seemed so new. She unpacked carelessly, setting dresses crookedly on hangers, tossing the slacks into the bottom drawer of the high marble-top dresser, throwing her city shoes onto a corner of the great wardrobe. She was bored already with the books she had brought. I am probably not going to stay anyway, she thought, and closed her empty suitcase and set it in the wardrobe corner. It won't take me five minutes to pack again. She discovered that she had been trying to put her suitcase down without making a sound, and then realized that while she unpacked, she had been in her stockinged feet trying to move as silently as possible, as though stillness were vital in Hill House. She remembered that Mrs. Dudley had also walked without sound. When she stood still in the middle of the room, the pressing silence of Hill House came back all around her. 
I am like a small creature swallowed whole by a monster, she thought, and the monster feels my tiny little movements inside. No, she said aloud, and the one word echoed. She went quickly across the room and pushed aside the blue dimity curtains, but the sunlight came only palely through the thick glass of the windows, and she could see only the roof of the veranda and a stretch of the lawn beyond. Somewhere down there was her little car which could take her away again. Journey's end in lover's meeting, she thought. It was my own choice to come. Then she realized that she was afraid to go back across the room. She was standing with her back to the window, looking from the door to the wardrobe to the dresser to the bed, telling herself that she was not afraid at all, when she heard far below the sounds of a car door slamming and then quick footsteps almost dancing up the steps and across the veranda, and then, shockingly, the crash of the great iron knocker coming down. Why, she thought, there are other people coming. I am not going to be here all alone. Almost laughing, she ran across the room and into the hall to look down the staircase into the hallway below. Thank heaven you're here, she said, peering through the dimness. Thank heaven somebody's here. She realized without surprise that she was speaking as though Mrs. Dudley could not hear her, although Mrs. Dudley stood straight and pale in the hall. Come on up, Eleanor said. You'll have to carry your own suitcase. She was breathless and seemed unable to stop talking. Her usual shyness melted away by relief. My name's Eleanor Vance, she said, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm Theodora. Just Theodora. This bloody house. Oh, it's just as bad up here. Come on up. Make her give you the room next to mine. Theodora came up the heavy stairway after Mrs. Dudley, looking incredulously at the stained glass window on the landing the marble urn in a niche, the patterned carpet. Her suitcase was considerably larger than Eleanor's, and considerably more luxurious, and Eleanor came forward to help her, glad that her own things were safely put away out of sight. Wait till you see the bedrooms, Eleanor said. Mine used to be the embalming room, I think. It's the home I've always dreamed of, Theodora said, a little hideaway where I can be alone with my thoughts, particularly if my thoughts happen to be about murder or suicide or... "'Green room,' Mrs. Dudley said coldly, and Eleanor sensed, with a quick turn of apprehension, that flippant or critical talk about the house bothered Mrs. Dudley in some manner. "'Maybe she thinks it can hear us,' Eleanor thought, and then was sorry she had thought it. Perhaps she shivered because Theodora turned with a quick smile and touched her shoulder gently, reassuringly. "'She is charming,' Eleanor thought, smiling back, not at all the sort of person who belongs in this dreary, dark place. But then, probably, I don't belong here either. I'm not the sort of person for Hill House. But I can't think of anybody who would be. She laughed then, watching Theodora's expression as she stood in the doorway of the green room. Good Lord, Theodora said, looking sideways at Eleanor. How perfectly enchanting. A positive bower. I set dinner on the dining-room sideboard at six sharp, Mrs. Dudley said. You can serve yourselves. I clear up in the morning. I have breakfast ready for you at nine. That's the way I agreed to do. You're frightened, Theodora said, watching Eleanor. I can't keep the rooms up the way you'd like, but there's no one else you could get that would help me. I don't wait on people. What I agreed to, it doesn't mean I wait on people. It was... Just when I thought I was all alone, Eleanor said. I don't stay after six, not after it begins to get dark. Well, I'm here now, Theodora said, so it's all right. We have a connecting bathroom, Eleanor said absurdly. The rooms are exactly alike. 
Green dimity curtains hung over the windows in Theodora's room. The wallpaper was decked with green garlands. The bedspread and quilt were green. The marble-top dresser and the huge wardrobe were the same. "'I've never seen such awful places in my life,' Eleanor said, her voice rising. "'Like the very best hotels,' Theodora said, or any good girl's camp. "'I leave before dark comes,' Mrs. Dudley went on. "'No one can hear you if you scream in the night,' Eleanor told Theodora. She realized that she was clutching at the doorknob, and under Theodora's quizzical eye, unclenched her fingers and walked steadily across the room. "'We'll have to find some way of opening these windows,' she said. "'So there won't be anyone around if you need help,' Mrs. Dudley said. "'We couldn't hear you, even in the night. No one could.' "'All right now?' Theodora asked, and Eleanor nodded. "'No one lives any nearer than the town.' "'No one lives any nearer than the town. No one will come any nearer than that.' "'You're probably just hungry.' Theodora said, and I'm starved myself. She set her suitcase on the bed and slipped off her shoes. Nothing, she said, upsets me more than being hungry. I snarl and snap and burst into tears. She lifted a pair of softly tailored slacks out of the suitcase. In the night, Mrs. Dudley said. She smiled. In the dark, she said, and closed the door behind her. After a minute, Eleanor said, she also walks without making a sound. Delightful old body. Theodora turned regarding her room. I take it back. That about the best hotels, she said. It's a little bit like a boarding school I went to for a while. Come and see mine, Eleanor said. She opened the bathroom door and led the way into her blue room. I was all unpacked and thinking about packing again when you came. Poor baby. You're certainly starving. All I could think of when I got a look at the place from outside was what fun it would be to stand out there and watch it burn down. Maybe before we leave. It was terrible being here alone. You should have seen that boarding school of mine during vacations. Theodora went back into her own room, and with the sense of movement and sound in the two rooms, Eleanor felt more cheerful. She straightened her clothes on the hangers in the wardrobe and set her books evenly on the bed table. You know, Theodora called from the other room, it is kind of like the first day at school. Everything's ugly and strange and you don't know anybody, and you're afraid everyone's going to laugh at your clothes. Eleanor, who had opened the dresser drawer to take out a pair of slacks, stopped and then laughed and threw the slacks on the bed. Did I understand correctly, Theodora went on, that Mrs. Dudley is not going to come in if we scream in the night? It was not what she agreed to. Did you meet the amiable old retainer at the gate? We had a lovely chat. He said I couldn't come in, and I said I could, and then I tried to run him down with my car, but he jumped. Look, do you think we have to sit around here in our rooms and wait? I'd like to change into something comfortable. Unless we dress for dinner, do you think? I won't if you won't. I won't if you won't. They can't fight both of us. Anyway, let's get out of here and go exploring. I would very much like to get this roof off from over my head. It gets dark so early in these hills with all these trees. Eleanor went to the window again, but there was still sunlight slanting across the lawn. It won't be really dark for nearly an hour. I want to go outside and roll on the grass. Eleanor chose a red sweater, thinking that in this room, in this house, the red of the sweater and the red of the sandals bought to match it would almost certainly be utterly at war with each other, although they had been close enough yesterday in the city. Serves me right, anyway, she thought, for wanting to wear such things. I never did before. 
but she looked oddly well, it seemed to her, as she stood by the long mirror on the wardrobe door, almost uncomfortable. Do you have any idea who else is coming? she asked. Or when? Dr. Montague, Theodora said. I thought he'd be here before anyone else. Have you known Dr. Montague long? Never met him, Theodora said. Have you? Never. You almost ready? Already. Theodora came through the bathroom door into Eleanor's room. She is lovely, Eleanor thought, turning to look. I wish I were lovely. Theodora was wearing a vivid yellow shirt, and Eleanor laughed and said, You bring more light into this room than the window. Theodora came over and regarded herself approvingly in Eleanor's mirror. I feel, she said, that in this dreary place it is our duty to look as bright as possible. I approve of your red sweater. The two of us will be visible from one end of Hill House to the other. Still looking into the mirror, she asked, I suppose Dr. Montague wrote to you? Yes, Eleanor was embarrassed. I didn't know at first whether it was a joke or not, but my brother-in-law checked up on him. You know, Theodora said slowly, up until the last minute, when I got to the gates, I guess, I never really thought there would be a Hill House. You don't go around expecting things like that to happen. But some of us go around hoping. Eleanor said. Theodora laughed and swung around before the mirror and caught Eleanor's hand. Fellow babe in the woods, she said, let's go exploring. We, we can't go far away from the house. I promise not to go one step farther than you say. Do you think we have to check in and out with Mrs. Dudley? She probably watches every move we make anyway. It's probably part of what she agreed to. Agreed to with whom, I wonder? Count Dracula? You think he lives in Hill House? I think he spends all his weekends here. I swear I saw bats in the woodwork downstairs. Follow, follow. They ran downstairs, moving with color and life against the dark woodwork and the clouded light of the stairs, their feet clattering, and Mrs. Dudley stood below and watched them in silence. We're going exploring, Mrs. Dudley, Theodora said lightly. We'll be outside somewhere. But we'll be back soon, Eleanor added. I set dinner on the sideboard at six o'clock, Mrs. Dudley explained. Eleanor, tugging, got the great front door open. It was just as heavy as it looked, and she thought, We really will have to find some easier way to get back in. Leave this open, she said over her shoulder to Theodora. It's terribly heavy. Get one of those big vases and prop it open. Theodora wheeled one of the big stone vases from the corner of the hall, and they stood it in the doorway and rested the door against it. The fading sunlight outside was bright after the darkness of the house, and the air was fresh and sweet. Behind them, Mrs. Dudley moved the vase again, and the big door slammed shut. "'Lovable old thing,' Theodora said to the closed door. For a moment her face was thin with anger, and Eleanor thought, "'I hope she never looks at me like that,' and was surprised, remembering that she was always shy with strangers, awkward and timid, and yet had come in no more than half an hour to think of Theodora as close and vital, someone whose anger would be frightening. "'I think,' Eleanor said hesitantly and relaxed, because when she spoke Theodora turned and smiled again, "'I think that during the daylight hours when Mrs. Dudley is around, I shall find myself some absorbing occupation far, far from the house, rolling the tennis court, perhaps, or tending the grapes in the hothouse. "'Perhaps you could help Dudley with the gates.' or look for nameless graves in the nettle patch. They were standing by the rail of the veranda. 
From there they could see down the drive to the point where it turned among the trees again, and down over the soft curve of the hills to the distant small line which might have been the main highway, the road back to the cities from which they had come. Except for the wires which ran to the house from a spot among the trees, there was no evidence that Hill House belonged in any way to the rest of the world. Eleanor turned and followed the veranda. It went, apparently, all around the house. "'Oh, look!' she said, turning the corner. Behind the house, the hills were piled in great pressing masses, flooded with summer green, now rich and still. "'It's why they call it Hill House,' Eleanor said inadequately. "'It's altogether Victorian,' Theodora said. "'They simply wallowed in this kind of great billowing overdone sort of thing and buried themselves in folds of velvet and tassels of purple plush. Anyone before them or after would have put this house right up there on top of those hills where it belongs instead of snuggling it down below. If it were on top of the hill, everyone could see it. I vote for keeping it well hidden where it is. All the time I'm here, I'm going to be terrified, Theodora said, thinking one of those hills will fall on us. Oh, they don't fall on you. They just slide down silently and secretly, rolling over you while you try to run away. Thank you, Theodora said in a small voice. What Mrs. Dudley has started you have completed nicely. I shall pack and go home at once. Believing her for a moment, Eleanor turned and stared, and then saw the amusement on her face and thought, She's much braver than I am. Unexpectedly, although it was later to become a familiar note, a recognizable attribute of what was to mean Theodora in Eleanor's mind, Theodora caught at Eleanor's thought and answered her, don't be so afraid all the time, she said, and reached out to touch Eleanor's cheek with one finger. We never know where our courage is coming from. Then quickly she ran down the steps and out onto the lawn between the tall grouped trees. Hurry, she called back. I want to see if there's a brook somewhere. We can't go too far, Eleanor said, following. Like two children, they ran across the grass, both welcoming the sudden openness of clear spaces, even after a little time in Hill House their feet grateful for the grass after the solid floors, with an instinct almost animal, they followed the sound and smell of water. Over here, Theodora said, a little path. It led them tantalizingly closer to the sound of the water, doubling back and forth through the trees, giving them occasional glimpses down the hill to the driveway, leading them around out of sight of the house across a rocky meadow and always downhill. As they came away from the house and out of the trees to places where the sunlight could still find them, Eleanor was easier, although she could see that the sun was dropping disturbingly closer to the heaped hills. She called to Theodora, but Theodora only called back, Follow! Follow! and ran down the path. Suddenly she stopped, breathless and tottering, on the very edge of the brook, which had leapt up before her almost without warning. Eleanor, coming more slowly behind, caught at her hand and held her back, and then, laughing, they fell together against the bank, which sloped sharply down to the brook. They like to surprise you around here, Theodora said, gasping. Serves you right if you went diving in, Eleanor said, running like that. It's pretty, isn't it? The water of the brook moved quickly in little lighted ripples. On the other side, the grass drew down to the edge of the water, and yellow and blue flowers leaned their heads over. There was a rounded soft hill there, and perhaps more meadow beyond, and far away the great hills still catching the light of the sun. It's pretty, Theodora said with finality. I'm sure I've been here before, 
Eleanor said. In a book of fairy tales, perhaps. I'm sure of it. Can you skip rocks? This is where the princess comes to meet the magic golden fish who's really a prince in disguise. He couldn't draw much water, that golden fish of yours. It can't be more than three inches deep. There are stepping stones to go across and little fish swimming. Tiny ones. Minnows? Princes in disguise, all of them. Theodora stretched in the sun on the bank and yawned. Tadpoles? she suggested. Minnows. It's too late for tadpoles, silly, but I bet we can find frog's eggs. I used to catch minnows in my hands and let them go. What a farmer's wife you might have made. This is a place for picnics, with lunch beside the brook and hard-boiled eggs. Theodora laughed. Chicken salad and chocolate cake. Lemonade in a thermos bottle. Spilled salt. Theodora rolled over luxuriously. They're wrong about ants, you know. There were almost never ants. Cows, maybe, but I don't think I ever did see an ant on a picnic. Was there always a bull in a field? Did someone always say, but we can't go through that field, that's where the bull is? Theodora opened one eye. Did you used to have a comic uncle? Everyone always laughed, whatever he said, and he used to tell you not to be afraid of the bull. If the bull came after you, all you had to do was grab the ring through his nose and swing him around your head. Eleanor tossed a pebble into the brook and watched it sink clearly to the bottom. Did you have a lot of uncles? Thousands. Do you? After a minute, Eleanor said, Oh, yes. Big ones and little ones and fat ones and thin ones. Do you have an Aunt Edna? Aunt Muriel. Kind of thin, rimless glasses. A garnet brooch, Eleanor said. Does she wear a kind of dark red dress to family parties? Lace cuffs. Then I think we really must be related, Theodora said. Did you used to have braces on your teeth? No, freckles. I went to that private school where they made me learn to curtsy. I always had colds all winter long. My mother made me wear woolen stockings. My mother made my brother take me to dances, and I used to curtsy like mad. My brother still hates me. I fell down during the graduation procession. I forgot my lines in the operetta. I used to write poetry. Yes, Theodora said. I'm positive we're cousins. She sat up laughing, and then Eleanor said, Be quiet, there's something moving over there. Frozen, shoulders pressed together, they stared, watching the spot of hillside across the brook where the grass moved, watching something unseen move slowly across the bright green hill, chilling the sunlight and the dancing little brook. What is it? Eleanor said in a breath, and Theodora put a strong hand on her wrist. It's gone, Theodora said clearly, and the sun came back, and it was warm again. It was a rabbit, Theodora said. Oh, I couldn't see it, Eleanor said. Oh, I saw it the minute you spoke, Theodora said firmly. It was a rabbit. It went over the hill and out of sight. We've been away too long, Eleanor said, and looked up anxiously at the sun touching the hilltops. She got up quickly and found that her legs were stiff from kneeling on the damp grass. Imagine... Two splendid old picnic-going girls like us,' Theodora said, afraid of a rabbit. Eleanor leapt down and held out a hand to help her up. "'We'd really better hurry back,' she said, and because she did not herself understand her compelling anxiety, added, "'The others might be there by now.' "'We'll have to come back for a picnic soon,' Theodora said, following carefully up the path which went steadily uphill. "'We really must have a good old-fashioned picnic down by the brook.' We can ask Mrs. Dudley to hard-boil some eggs. Eleanor stopped on the path, not turning. 
Theodora, she said, I don't think I can, you know. I don't think I really will be able to do it. Eleanor. Theodora put an arm across her shoulders. Would you let them separate us now, now that we've found out we're cousins? <laughs>